Let's now turn to hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and following. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Thanks. I'm sending you out like sheep among doves. Sorry. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snake and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what you'll say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it won't be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, You will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, 
how much more the members of his household. So don't be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. This is the word of the Lord. How cool is little Ev? That was awesome. Uh, He's my nephew, so that was uh, pretty cool uh, to see him up there. Uh, Let us pray before we uh, go further into this passage. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much uh, for what you've given us. You've given us your son, that we might have life and uh, you have given us uh, through him your spirit uh, that we might know you. Uh, You've given us your word that we might uh, know you better today, that we can read it, uh, that we can share it in our church. And Heavenly Father, we pray as we uh, look at it more that you might commit it to our hearts Uh, that we might remember its teaching and that it might change our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Thank you very much uh, for having me. Uh, Great. uh, It really is um, a privilege for me and a great opportunity to um, be able to share on mission. Uh, That's been a big part of my life. Um, And do that, uh, uh, they just let me go for it and uh, choose my own passage, uh, which was really nice of them, uh, which meant I got to choose Matthew, uh, which um, uh, is really personal for me, being able to preach on, on mission from Matthew, because um, before I became a Christian, I, I was reading this gospel, I was reading Matthew, uh, 
And um, as I was doing that and uh, I was being blown away by um, kind of coming to terms with Jesus and seeing who Jesus is, um, and at a certain point during that, I kind of stopped and uh, thought about it, had to think, and thought that if this is true, right, if, if what this book is saying about Jesus, if that's true, then I am in this boots and all, right? I could see that um, there was an incredible claim that Jesus made on, on the people that he came across, the people that he spoke to and his disciples, and um, I felt there, and I, you know, I was coming closer, right? I was, I was not there, but um, I could see that if I did believe this, then the implication, it, it seemed to me, was that I would go into missions, right? I didn't, uh, I didn't know the word missions. I didn't kind of have that concept, but uh, it seemed to me that the right thing to do would be to go back to this country, Vanuatu, uh, which is in the Pacific, which I had been working in before that, um, in kind of community development work, that I would go back there and work for Jesus. And uh, with time and uh, with, uh, um, you know, incredible uh, work, as we've all experienced in our lives by the Spirit, um, I was convicted that um, this book, Matthew, is true and that the Bible is is God's word, and um, I accepted Jesus as my Lord. And uh, I did end up back there, um, and by then I had a family uh, to go with. And um, uh, as another little kind of aside in that and a little uh, nice connection is that uh, after I got there, uh, and maybe actually in the process of getting there, I um, the first church I came to was Uni Church. Uh, many years ago and when I look back on that time and uh, and think about it uh, I kind of sometimes wonder like as this young guy reading this book what it was that kind of led me to that conclusion like what exactly was it it wasn't the end uh, you know where we have the great commission at the end I'd figured it out before then and seen this this kind of claim on my life that this guy was making and, um, yeah, I'd really encourage you, if you want a little project one day um, or to read Matthew with a thought, is to go through Matthew uh, and think about the different times and places that, that Jesus does um, really commit, uh, uh, kind of commit us to, to, uh, to himself um, and claims our lives. Uh, but one of those places is this passage, uh, this time where... Jesus uh, gathers his disciples to himself and he sends them out into his work. And uh, uh, he does that, as he does that with these words that um, we've had Fletch and Ev read for us. And, And at one point he says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And uh, those words have, uh, over the years, just incredibly uh, resonated with me and, and kind of echoed through my life. And uh, it's incredibly daunting stuff. They're heavy words. 
they're, they're words that we want to somehow kind of have toned down for us or uh, kind of explained away a little bit to kind of lessen the blow of what Jesus is saying. Um, but what Jesus says there needs to be heavy um, because, as I said, what he's doing here is bringing his disciples and, in fact, us into his own work. He is giving them his authority. And, and that's the same work that, that we're uh, all brought into today. And as we come to this passage uh, and we think about the work of mission that the church is charged with, we can think about um, how does this passage, uh, uh, or does it equip us today um, to carry out our part of this mission? And there are some really uh, confronting things in the passage, uh, things that might seem odd to us. Uh, For example, if you look at verse 1, we see... um, the authority to heal disease and sickness. And we might ask, do we have that authority today? Uh, If we look at uh, verse 10, we might ask, well, why can't I take a second shirt? And if I'm going on mission to Africa, can I pack a suitcase? If we look at verse 11, it, it seems harsh to us that we should so quickly turn uh, our backs on people that we're trying to reach. And it's worth asking uh, whether this passage really applies to us today. Can we use this to uh, form our mission for the 21st century or is this just instructions to a particular group for a particular mission in the first century? Well, when we think through that, um, it may be firstly helpful... Um, to to recognise that Jesus is talking to a specific group of people at a specific time. Um, But it's also worth thinking that we not only have Jesus' words, but Matthew is putting together this gospel for us. Uh, Matthew uh, has all the teaching that he experienced from Jesus over the time that he was a disciple that he's able to bring into this. And he has to choose out of that, what, what he's going to include. Okay, his, uh, the, the very act of writing a gospel is very expensive when you think about the, the parchment that he has to pay for to write it on. He's got to be selective, and yet he seems to think that a whole, what in our terms are 42 verses, it's worth committing that much to this one teaching of Jesus. So it seems that to Matthew, he thinks that this teaching is valuable to his church after the resurrection as they move out into the world. Secondly, it's worth noting uh, as we read it that as the chapter goes on, um, the further that we get into this, the more Jesus is talking in general terms, Um, the more that what he's saying here could be applied to different situations at different times. Uh, And the pivot point of that uh, is around verses uh, 15 and 16. So if you kind of have a look at that up to, from the start of chapter 10, um, up to chapter 15, uh, what Jesus says really fits into the context of the specific uh, mission that these disciples are about to carry out in Galilee. 
And then from verse 16 on, uh, what Jesus says really projects beyond Galilee and, in fact, uh, into the time that is after his resurrection. So, for example, uh, if you look at verse 18, he says that they will be brought before governors and kings. Governors and kings, like multiple governors and kings, which kind of sounds a bit grand for the Galilean context, which was governed by uh, one governor, uh, one was governed by uh, a tetrarch. And a tetrarch, if you like, is like one third of a proper king. But it's actually uh, after the time of Jesus' resurrection that um, the disciples actually find themselves uh, in front of governors and kings and we particularly can think about that in terms of Paul's ministry that we read about particularly in the kind of the back third of Acts. Then it says in uh, verse 23, uh, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And uh, when we hear the Son of Man uh, coming, uh, we tend to, uh, our minds tend to jump to the second coming, okay? And that causes us to kind of think, well, well, how do they, like, how do they not have time to go to all the towns before the second coming? Uh, but it's, uh, it's very likely uh, that Jesus has in mind when he's talking about the Son of Man, uh, he has in mind Daniel uh, chapter 7. And in that chapter, uh, we see one like a Son of Man who comes into the presence of the Ancient of Days. Uh, He comes into the presence of God, which is exactly what Jesus does after his resurrection. He is raised to uh, heaven in the ascension, and he comes into the presence of God the Father. And if you look at verse uh, 23 again, uh, it says, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another, right? And that's what happened in the early church. Uh, as they were persecuted, um, the church moved out from Jerusalem. As they were persecuted in one place, the church kind of went out through that. And then he says, Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And, like, again, um, they didn't. They didn't get through all the towns of Israel before Jesus entered the presence of God, before that time after the resurrection where the gospel, the message went out to the Gentile people. So what he's saying here fits into that kind of context of later in the Bible or into the context of a new age, uh, these last days that uh, we're living in today. Uh, So verse uh, 15 and before uh, seems that are focused uh, specifically on the uh, mission to Galilee And what we find in uh, verse 16 is also, of course, Jesus is talking to these disciples about their mission as he's about to send them uh, out in Galilee. But he's also talking to them about a later time and the mission work that starts then but will continue into the work of the church. And uh, what goes on there then is that both parts are helpful to us. It's not that we write one off and use one and not the other. But what it means is that we need to think carefully about the way that we interpret them or the way that we apply them to us today. 
Uh, and we need to think about um, those things a little bit differently or the kind of the halves of the, of the passage differently. So in the first part, we don't want to apply things too tightly uh, that are spoken into one context when our context may be quite different to that. But what we want to do is to look at what's going on in Jesus' context and what that means and how we could apply that. What are the principles behind that and how can we then apply them into our context? And uh, in a similar way, and kind of the flip side of that, is that we don't want to make the opposite mistake and look at the things uh, at the, kind of in the second half and kind of miss what's been said about persecution in the Christian life, uh, miss these uh, incredible statements that Jesus is, is making to, to uh, these disciples and his ongoing church, and kind of think that that persecution and that life really belongs to this Galilean mission and not to us today. So uh, that's kind of some big ideas. So uh, just to kind of slow that down and um, kind of investigate that a little bit more, um, we kind of look at that in, in, the, in the first half and how that might work. So uh, in Jesus' own ministry, he has uh, had a ministry of moving from town to town. Okay, He says at one town... Uh, that he has to move on to the next town because he has come to preach the gospel. He has to preach the gospel to them also. So he moves on from one place to another. And Jesus here is bringing his disciples into that work. He's setting up somewhat of a, kind of this blitz mission, uh, this kind of lightning work of, of people going from town to town to proclaim this message of the coming kingdom. So as Jesus sets up that mission, which is for a limited time, they're going to come back uh, to Jesus, um, that the stipulations that he places on them, uh, stipulations about the particular region that they have to stay within, um, things like not to take a change of shirt, uh, things like moving quickly from uh, one place to another as they're rejected, uh, won't necessarily apply in the same way to mission work today. And in fact, even within the New Testament, we kind of see that change take place. So if we think about um, the book of Acts, even within the book of Acts, we start to see uh, missionaries, disciples doing mission, uh, who are carrying money from place to place. Uh, We see people who are uh, ministering in certain places for extended periods of time, and people who are Um, staying with or going back to places where they experienced persecution and they've been rejected. And in the same way, um, the authority that they're given to heal um, uh, may work differently. That authority, it seems, did extend past uh, Jesus' resurrection. Uh, We see apostles healing um, in the early church. But it doesn't seem that that continued in the same way after the time of Jesus and the apostles. And that's because it belongs to a particular context, a particular time where it had the meaning of showing the way that this kingdom's come, showing the presence of this kingdom of God in its king, uh, Jesus, who was present with them. So what we need to do then is, uh, what we're going to do is to walk through uh, this passage, 
um, and uh, think about the way that it does apply to us and the mission of the church today. And as we do that, we're going to take one point from really the start of it, and the kind of the that gives us kind of a big picture feeling for what's going on. Um, one point from before, uh, sort of verse 15 and before, one from 16 and after, and then a final, um, uh, like a final application from what's really Jesus's final thought uh, as he talks to his disciples. And um, I want you to, to, to look out for um, the way that at the end, the passage kind of subtly flips around and it brings us into the mission in a new and different way. So firstly, uh, we're going to look at the start and the big picture. Um, And what we have here is a demonstration uh, for us of uh, the perfect way that we should respond to or follow up our own prayers. Uh, So if you look at verse 37, so in chapter 9, verse 37, we're right at the start, Um, or near the start, and uh, we see there that Jesus has compassion on the lost. Okay, He sees uh, the the lostness of the people, and uh, he sees that the workers are few, the people to reach these lost are few. And in verse um, 38 then, he tells his disciples to pray, right? That they need to, the response there to the lost, they need to pray that God will send out more workers, right? Then in chapter 10, the first uh, four verses, Jesus does exactly that, right? He does exactly what he just prayed to the Father um, that would take place. Um, and, And he himself sends the workers into the field. And that is how we should act in prayer, right? We pray that God will act... And then we act ourselves knowing that the way that God normally works uh, is through his people. There's no contradiction between the two things. We're praying that God will do it and then we're involved in his work. And that's how we need to be as a church. Uh, we, We need to work in mission in this way. We need to pray and then we need to send people out. Uh, and for some of us, we need to pray and we need to go into mission. And folks, uh, mission and ministry everywhere, uh, the workers are few. Um, and we've seen a little bit of that today through, through Dan and Katie's presentation, uh, that in, in their context, the church is not resourced uh, in the way that our church here is resourced. And even here... We need so many more workers. Where where I go to church, the churches around us, uh, a couple of them are are lacking ministers in their church. Uh, But that's multiplied in in, in other parts of the world. So I was on a Zoom call recently uh, with a guy in Bangladesh. A Bangladeshi guy, he's uh, going to Bible college there in the capital city. Um, So he's privileged to do that. But at the same time as he's there, Everything that he learns, he passes on to this group of church planters that he's working with. So these are untrained church planters, and he learns something at college and then kind of goes out to these villages, tells them, goes back to college, 
um, incredibly uh, a lot more pressure um, on him than I ever had when I was studying. Uh, you know, the responsibility of that is immense to cope with this problem that the workers are few. The best thing that you can do with your time is to pray. To pray that God will send these workers into the field. And the best thing that you can do with your resources is to commit them to training and sending people, sending people out who can preach the gospel message and teach the Bible. So our second point comes from uh, verses 5 to 15. And as I've already said, we need to kind of look for the principles uh, that we find within uh, what Jesus is saying. And the principle behind this is that we need to go out in weakness. Okay, so we go out in our own weakness, but trusting in the strength of the message. So in our worldly weakness... And yet we trust in the message that we're going out with. Uh, So the specifics of how we might run uh, our mission might be different to their context. But if you look at the way that he sends out his workers, he sends them in weakness. And then as we move into the second part of the passage, verse 16 and beyond, that weakness is continued throughout the mission. Okay, That's that's the the unifying uh, feature. And so that seems to be the principle that uh, is behind this. We send uh, out others, uh, and as Jesus sends out his disciples, um, he's sending them out uh, in a way that um, uh, they, they don't have their own resources and they become dependent on others, right? Uh, let's never use that as a reason not to support the people that we send out well and let's, let's never um, suggest that missionaries who raise their support in our uh, context today uh, are somehow lack faith. Uh, the conventions of hospitality um, that existed in Jesus' context in the first century Mediterranean world might be different to Many uh, to the conventions that we have in many places of the world today. We can't rely on the same uh, contextual situation that Jesus was speaking into. We have a, a complex uh, kind of global situation, a global village where um, uh, it, it would be people who are receiving missionaries from a less developed part of the world wouldn't be expecting that they would be caring for people from a, uh, a wealthier place, and, and nor should we have it in that way. Uh, it's a privilege um, that we have to be able to resource other people's churches uh, without um, burdening them uh, with that. Um, but what we need to do as we take this principle, what we need to avoid is conducting our mission uh, through power and wealth. Okay, and not going out with a I know best kind of an attitude. But rather that we need to do mission in a way that develops genuine relationships. Ways that depend on our local co-workers. Uh, ways that allow the local church to take responsibility for its own decision making. Ways that depend on our local colleagues for fellowship and accountability. Uh, One uh, 
mission uh, book uh, that uh, I've uh, kind of really struggled with and enjoyed is a book called uh, Brooch Co. And uh, it's uh, like a mission biography. It's a story of a guy called Bruce Olson. Uh, and Bruce Olson went to uh, the Motalone people in South America. And uh, reading this story, uh, in some ways, it just uh, frustrated me. Uh, you know, I felt that this guy did everything wrong, right? So I've kind of got this mission background. I'm reading it as a missionary. And I think that this guy, uh, you know, he has it wrong. He doesn't seek uh, partnerships with other missionaries uh, in helpful ways. He doesn't adequately equip himself and fund him, uh, not fund himself, but prepare himself to go out to these people. He has this amazing heart and vision uh, for reaching these people. Uh, and he just isn't, <laughs> in my mind, equipped in that way. But um, on the other hand, he gets it just right in the way that he goes out in his own weakness. Uh, when he first goes out, he first he's going out into the jungle in South America and uh, he's not prepared, he doesn't know what he's doing, uh, he doesn't know where he's going, uh, he gets lost, uh, he loses uh, his donkey, the donkey runs away from him, he doesn't have any food, uh, I can't remember how, but in the process he somehow injures himself, it gets infected, he's starving, he's sick, and he eventually b- b- bumps into people, he makes contact, and they probably would have killed him except that he was already dying. And they, they nurse him to health and uh, he eventually kind of gets to stay with these people and from that he kind of gets to meet other people. And it's not just the way that he makes contact, but he's in his ministry and throughout years of ministering to these people. Uh, he, he just has this incredible commitment to never... He never makes a decision... For them, he, he, with, even with the new this new baby church, he trusts that they will make the right decisions for themselves. So we go out in our and he, you know the, the 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 impact that he had on their their lives and worldview was just incredible. And so we go out in weakness in mission. Um, but notice in the passage that although the, 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 they're weak in a worldly sense that they have immense trust in the message that they're taking. So if you look at verses 11 to 14, um, they they assess, the entire assessment of whether a host is deemed worthy depends on whether or not they will accept the message. And in, in no sense are the disciples ever going to change that message, um, even when it leaves them homeless and heading out of town. So as we engage in mission, um, you know, in mission, as I said, there's all kinds of ideas about how we should run that, techniques um, and uh, missiology and so forth. These things are vitally important in modern mission. Okay, I love those things. But our methods of doing ministry are nothing if they don't keep an uncompromised gospel at their core. So as we pray and as we send out missionaries, let's make sure that we send them out uh, in a way, send out missionaries who find their strength 
in the gospel message. Not in their own abilities, not in their material possessions, not in their passports. Okay, in the passage after, uh, from verse 16 onwards, this vulnerability of the missionaries uh, is shown in light of persecution. And this is kind of the third of my four points. And what we see is that in these last days, in the time that we're living in, proclamation and persecution are inseparable. Okay, so as we proclaim the gospel, that cannot be separated from the persecution that will come as we do that. But those who do proclaim the gospel and stick to their faithful message when persecuted will be rewarded with life. So just notice that as the the disciples, uh, as they are preaching Jesus' message, which is what they're out to do, um, and as they're being persecuted, they're being persecuted in solidarity with Jesus. So in verse 25, uh, Jesus kind of gets an, a, an equivalency between himself and his disciples. He says, the student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his master. Uh, Jesus told uh, his disciples that we've already looked at that they will appear before governors and kings on his behalf. But actually, it was Jesus who first did that when he was on trial for his life. And then as the the disciples go out and begin to preach a crucified Messiah and a risen Lord, uh, they too came in front of these authorities and in many cases suffered, even suffered death. Jesus was persecuted and as his followers, we should expect no less. And this could apply to us in in any of our walks of life, in any of our uh, interactions that we have, uh, that you might have on campus, that you might have in workplaces. Um, As we uh, reach the lost around us, we can expect pushback from that. But today we're uh, applying it to the context of global mission. And uh, for those of you who are thinking of going on mission... And uh, I really hope that that is many of you. You know, I get to stand out the front here and I look down at you guys and uh, I don't know what God has for you. I don't know who you are or the way that you've been prepared, but if you think about your life and uh, what God has given you, uh, your skill set, your passions, your... um, your abilities uh, and your heart, I, I wonder whether, whether some of you uh, will see the way that uh, God might be equipping you for mission. And I hope and pray that that is the case. But if that is you, you need to know that if you're doing that, it, since you are followers of Jesus you will be following him in his suffering. But notice too that that suffering comes with promises. So in verse 31, we are told uh, to not be afraid. 
right? Don't be afraid. But the reason that we shouldn't be afraid isn't that Jesus is saying that everything's going to be all right. That's not what he's telling his disciples. He's not saying, don't be afraid, you're not going to suffer much. What he promises them comes in verse 32, and he promises them that he will acknowledge them before the Father. Or he puts that another way previously in verse 22 when he says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's the ultimate assurance. The ultimate assurance isn't that we're not going to die. It's that even if we do die, we will live. And that is incredible assurance. Uh, in my uh, experience of, of living in the country that I lived in, um, we weren't in a situation where we were likely to get killed um, for our faith. Um, if somebody had wanted to kill us, um, it would have been um, through black magic. It wouldn't have been this kind of outright um, persecution that the people uh, that's pictured by Jesus here. Uh, I did experience um, a lot of uh, opposition, I guess, um, sometimes isolation in my work as I um, uh, preached in the, in the church and, and kind of called people back to a biblical faith. Um, but we didn't have that kind of outright uh, persecution going on. But what, what we faced in our context was uh, this kind of continued heightened risk in life. Uh, so as we kind of drove um, from one place to another, we faced the risk of, of just sliding off the road uh, in the mud. Uh, we had risk of, of uh, being cut off uh, by rivers or being washed away by rivers. Uh, we had the risk of um, sickness uh, in uh, remote places where there was no uh, medical help. Uh, we had risks of earthquakes, volcanoes and uh, two Category 5 cyclones that we uh, lived through. And uh, during one of those cyclones, um, we were sheltering in our house. Uh, so we had like this kind of block house with this tin roof on it. And um, uh, this stage, our veranda had already come off. Um, it had been, we didn't know it, but it travelled right over our house. And um, the roof... Uh, was starting to come off. And uh, it's like, uh, so it's kind of nailed down and it kind of the first kind of layer pops out and uh, then the next one. And uh, we're sheltering, there's rain and, and wind coming into the house. We're sheltering, there's like one room that is still dry. We've got the kids under the, um, the bed. We've got one light that we're sitting around. And uh, I stood at the door of that room and kind of looking out at the, at the roof that's uh, coming off. And I uh, thought that, that, that this, this could be it, right? That we may not actually survive this cyclone. And then I thought to myself, well, that's okay, right? That, that's okay. I'm okay with that because I know that Jesus has my back in eternity. And if you're going on mission, you need to know that the going's going to be really tough. But don't let that be a cause for fear. And if you're sending people, 
And I hope people go out from amongst you. When you're sending people, you need to appreciate that the people you are sending are going to face a lot of hardships, even traumas in their lives. Even if that's just from years of low-level opposition, from isolation um, and discouragement. And you need to think through, you need to have plans in place about how you're going to care for those people, both when they're away and when they come back. And this brings us to the last point. And that's to see how these disciples are cared for. And this is where we kind of come to this kind of surprising change of direction in what Jesus is saying. So if you go to verse 40, he says... Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. So he's finding that kind of equivalency between himself and his disciples again. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And then he goes on to say that the one who welcomes them will be rewarded. Which really in saying that, there's kind of a shift away from thinking directly about the disciples Um, to talking about um, those caring for the disciples. And then the, the full twist comes in verse 42 when he says, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. And when he says that, He's no longer talking to the disciples, is he? He's no longer talking to the people that he's sending in mission. He's making a general statement. And and that general statement speaks to us now. If we weren't already in the picture, we're in the picture now. And and this is like a a recurring kind of teaching that that kind of is started here and continues through Jesus' ministry. Uh, teaching on the weak, the vulnerable, the little ones uh, within the church who are, these little ones, as it says here, who are the disciples. And Matthew picks up on that teaching of Jesus in chapter 18 and in chapter 25. So in chapter 25, uh, there's Jesus and he's talking to uh, some sheep who have just been separated from goats. And he tells them, tells the sheep, that they have cared for him and and they want to know, how? How did we care for you? And he says that they did it when they cared for what he calls the least ones, the small ones in the community. And Jesus is talking about there those that are vulnerable, those that are small, those who have equivalency with him. People who are at the very least in the same category as the missional disciples that we have here. If not, he's talking about those disciples. And the sheep who care for these least ones, these small ones in chapter 25, are given the reward just like the one in our passage is given a reward for caring with the glass of water. So who... Who will care for these vulnerable disciples going out among the wolves? And the answer is, it's us. 
It's the other Christians. It's the sheep who will be separated from the goats. We are God's plan of how he's going to care for his vulnerable workers. You are God's plan of how he's going to care for the ones in the Christian community who are doing it tough for the gospel. God's plan is disciples caring for disciples. So we've seen uh, that firstly, when we look at our world and we see the need for the gospel to be preached, that we respond to that by praying and sending. And for those suited to it, we respond to it by praying and going. And when we send or when we go, we don't uh, do, we do that in our strength. We do that in our weakness, but in the strength of the gospel message. And these people going in their own weakness will face great hardship, just as Jesus suffered. But they're going to be cared for by the community of the faithful Christians. And they will ultimately be saved even if they give their lives. So Uni Church, can I commend to you this model of mission that we find here? Pray, send and care for missionaries. And if you're suited to it, if you're suited to going, go fearlessly knowing that God will use his people to care for you and that no matter what comes, Jesus has your back in eternity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the immense privilege that you give us, that you would trust weak and sinful people like us with your gospel message to go out into all the world. Thank you that you trust us with the care of your little ones. We pray that by the power of the Spirit you might make us strong in that work, that we may uh, continue in prayer, continue in sending, continue in going, and that through this church you might build your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.